Next, we hear a reading from Isaiah chapter 29, verses 13 through 21. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, Who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, He did not make me? Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease. And all who watch to do evil shall be cut off, who by a word make a man out to be an offender, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate, and with an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. Now, those who are able, um, you are invited to stand for the gospel reading. So this is one of the things that um, Pastor Carissa has thrown in to mix things up a little bit. Now, here the gospel reading from Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophecy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our final reading this morning comes from 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved 
through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, God called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, sisters and brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Satan was standing outside a church building one Sunday morning. Inside, the people were singing, praying, and listening to preaching. A passerby asked Satan if that did not bother him. With a demonic, sneering laugh, he replied negatively. Then he added, They get that way on Sunday, but they will be all right on Monday. It's just a little habit they've acquired. God save us from such a habit. Our worship is to make a difference in who we are and what we do. I had a man I'd never seen before walk into my office once a few years back and say, Pastor, I know you don't know me, but I'm a member of your church. I just don't come on Sundays because it's my only day off and I like to sleep in. I knew it had been a while since he'd been there because I knew every name on the rolls of the church and his was not one of those names. It wasn't even one of those names. I thought, who is this person? I've never seen them. It just wasn't there. And I'd been at that church for over two years. I'd never seen his face or heard his name. I say this not to shame him or to shame those who are not at church today, but rather because I was sad for him. I was sad for this man because clearly he'd never been to a worship service that made much of a difference in his life if sleeping in was the better option. And I hear some iteration of that from time to time, usually from people I've never met before who find out what I do for a living and instantly feel guilty that they were not at church on Sunday morning. I had a woman one time at Eaton Park at the buffet line walk up to me when I was wearing my clerical collar and begin apologizing for not having been at church that morning. I didn't know this woman. (laughs) I'd never met her before. Usually it's things like, I'm just so busy, or I have family in town, or I feel guilty because I haven't been to church for so long, and now I don't want to go because I feel guilty because I haven't been there for so long, or my parents took me as a kid, but it just wasn't for me. I don't get anything out of it. And these seem like they're, they're very different responses, but underneath each of them is a sense of disconnect, a sense of emotional different, a distance from the worship service itself. Many people aren't outright offended by church, but they just don't feel a connection to it. It's just a bunch of old mystical mumbo-jumbo. It's silly old myths and rites that have no bearing on modern life. It's a book of magic words that don't actually change things. And even those of us who are at church week after week can feel an emotional disconnect in worship. We're just going through the motions sometimes. This is a classic Presbyterian ailment, dear sisters and brothers. We know deep down that we need this. We need to be here together today. So we come and we say the words that we say every week. Sing the words that are familiar. Sit and stand at all the right times. Pray the right prayers. And we go home knowing that we went to church but not really feeling all that much different for having been there. 
And yet, in spite of how many people feel an emotional disconnect when it comes to worship, it is one of the most dangerous topics in church history. One of the great dividers in the church throughout the centuries has been worship and liturgy. How do we worship? What do we do while we're there? Churches have fought and split. People have left their church over whether there should be instruments or not. If they should sing songs that aren't straight from the Psalms or not. What language the services should be conducted in. If there should be a projector screen or not. The size of the paper used for the bulletins. And the one that drives me the most nuts, traditional versus contemporary. As if songs from the 1970s are brand new and current, and the Book of Common Worship was written by Jesus himself 2,000 years ago. Contemporary worship can be just as entrenched in its ways as traditional. And for the record, Jesus doesn't care whether you're chanting psalms, singing a Christian rock chorus, or rapping about the power of Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus cares that you care about worship. We humans don't like doing things differently. It makes us uncomfortable. We like to do what we know how to do. The things we know we're good at. The things that have worked in the past surely will continue to work because we've done them before. Look at our passage from 1 Samuel. Even once he's pulled out from the baggage, Saul isn't the sort of leader the people of Israel expect, so they grumble. He gets out of his own stuff that is standing in the way of his call, and other people immediately step into his way. And they had asked for him. They said to God, bring us change, but don't change anything. Give us a king, but not that kind of king. Because of our desire to maintain the status quo, we are quick to get stuck in a rut. Like the worshipers in our Isaiah passage who honor God with their words, they're saying the right things, but their hearts are just not in it. We keep doing things because that's the way we've always done it, even if our hearts aren't in it anymore or it isn't working anymore. Now, I think that the Pharisees get a bad rap sometimes. They are no worse than we are, for the most part. They have a way of doing things. It's been done that way for generations. That is what they know. That's what they've grown up with. That's what they're good at. That's what they've been taught. And then this Jesus guy shows up and starts doing things entirely differently. They aren't some insidious evil with a handlebar mustache. They're just traditional guys upholding their traditions that were passed down to them. Traditions that were very meaningful to them. And Jesus is not saying in his response to them that tradition isn't valid or that there's no goodness in it. Tradition absolutely has a place in our spiritual lives and our worship. Jesus' response to the Pharisees is not that tradition is bad, so that's why he's shaking it up. His response is to remind them that the heart is what matters. When Paul is comforting the Thessalonians, who have become convinced that the end is near, he tells them to hold fast to their traditions. Because tradition is comforting especially in uncertain times. There's something so soothing about saying familiar words, singing a familiar song, hearing a familiar scripture passage. There's a rhythm that is good for the soul. But when the rhythm gets stale and fails to move us to dance anymore, it's time to add something to the beat. 
Good traditions are ones that are not upheld because they're the way we grew up or the way we've always done things, but they're the ones that point to a larger story. On March 23rd, 1743, when the Messiah was first performed in London, the king was present in the great audience. It is reported that all were so deeply moved by the Hallelujah Chorus that with the impressive words, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, the whole audience, including the king, sprang to their feet and remained standing throughout the entire chorus. From that time to this, it has always been the custom to stand during that chorus whenever it is performed. With spontaneous joy, the soul stands to salute him who cometh in the name of the Lord. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and to him we pledge allegiance. I did not know as a kid growing up why people stood during the Hallelujah Chorus. It was just a weird thing that old people did that I was also expected to do. But then I was in a production of The Messiah when I was in high school. And the director told us that story about the king standing because he was so moved by the piece. And immediately it made sense. Suddenly the tradition had meaning. When people stand during the Hallelujah Chorus, it's to show that even kings are moved to worship our omnipotent God. It tells a bigger story. And now I stand during the Hallelujah Chorus, not because my mom will scold me or I will feel guilty or weird if I don't, but because of the power of the moment and the power of what is being said at that particular moment of that piece. We come together week after week to tell a bigger story, to be moved and changed by a story that began long before we did and will carry on long after we are gone. We come together to pray and sing with the great cloud of witnesses who have been praying and singing since the dawn of time, sometimes using their very words and poetry and music, sometimes adding to it our own words and poetry and music. We come together in worship, not because our moms will scold us if we don't, not because of guilt, but because this is meant to be a powerful moment that changes the very way we see the world. It's important to use old prayers that people have been praying for centuries because it feels like they gather steam as more and more people join in the praying of the prayer as the years roll by. But it's also important to write and pray new prayers out of our own time and space. Worship is an anchor that holds the rest of our life fast to God. If you play an instrument, you hopefully know that you have to tune that instrument regularly. Otherwise, it will sound bad. Even if you are playing it with perfect technique, it will sound bad if it is not tuned regularly. Worship is how we come before God for regular tuning. We tune our hearts, just like the line from Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Now we are, as a congregation, exploring old and new traditions this year as we prepare for Advent. Many of us met a few weeks ago to begin this process and to brainstorm together. And I will be emailing and printing out some information on this in the next few days, including ways that you all can be involved, even if you didn't make it to that planning workshop. So keep an eye out for that. And together we're going to explore how we as a congregation can really dive in headlong into meaningful worship. Advent is a great time to practice telling the story because what a cool part of the story Advent celebrates. Every person here 
has an important role to play in our worship together. Every single person here has an important role to play in our worship together. And so as we prepare our hearts, I have a song I would like to share with you all.